Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Drift Car Sharing. I'm Henry Chisholm. Uh, some big news today. Uh, Antonio Alfano, the defensive end from Alabama, uh, transfers to the University of Colorado. And he will be a buff. Um, and I think that that's pretty much all we're going to talk about on today's show just because it is such massive news um, before we get to that, though, I do want to tell you about Drift Car Sharing. Uh, it's a great service. If, if you're flying somewhere, uh, leave your car at the Drift lot. They'll rent it out. They'll pay you. You don't have to pay for parking. Uh, they'll clean your car even if they can't rent it out. Then when you get where you're going, you can rent another car, and it'll be cheaper than what you'd pay for our, uh, like a rental agency to give you a car. Uh, so definitely check them out. Uh, it's it's a great company, a company that we're proud to partner with, and they present my podcast. So we appreciate them. Uh, for more information, you can go to drivedrift.com and figure out everything you need to figure out. Okay. Um, Antonio Alfano. He is a freak. He, he, he has the potential to make what is currently one of the worst pass rushes in the Pac-12 one of the best immediately. I mean, looking through the numbers, uh, I, th- I, think, I think the buffs are averaging like 1.67 sacks per game uh, so far this season, which puts them 11th out of the uh, 12 teams in the Pac-12. And, you know, number one's a little over three, uh, maybe three and a half or so. Antonio Alfano has the potential to be putting up a sack, a sack and a half a game. Um, he has the potential to be doing a lot more than that, uh, which is crazy to say. And expecting that day one might be a bit much. There are definitely some risks, and we'll dig into that. But that's the type of player he is. Um, there, there's a real chance that CU just found its, its Nick Bosa. It's uh, Chase Young, uh, somebody who can just take over games from a pass rusher spot and we should all all of the hype that you feel right now it it it's not enough for what just happened i mean you look through the players of antonio's caliber that have ever committed to see you and honestly there are not that many um antonio alfano according to 24 7 sports uh their their final rankings of the 2019 class Antonio was the highest rated recruit in the country. You know, any position, whatever. He was the best player, best prospect in all of high school football, in all of America. And because of that, 
uh, he, he got offers from all the big schools. He decided to go to Alabama after growing up in New Jersey. Uh, and so he committed there uh, before his senior year. It was May after his junior year. Um, and so he goes through the whole season. He, he winds up enrolling early at Alabama, uh, taking off his last semester of high school so that he can get a head start on college. Uh, goes through spring ball with Alabama, obviously, and looks really good. By all reports, I mean, 6'4", 285. There are some rumors that he actually put on some weight. I, I, I haven't been able to see how much weight he actually did put on while he was at Alabama, but it sounds like he got bulkier. And, you know, you hear 6'4", 285, and there's, that could mean a bunch of different things, but for him, you know, it's 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 all it's it's all muscle. It's... He's a freak. He's a freak. A 38-inch vertical, and he's that massive. He's just that kind of athlete. Um, so yeah, all the reports are he looked good. I mean, he was a high school American. Obviously, you get to see what he looks like against the rest in the class. If, if you just search his name on Twitter, you can go back and look through a bunch of the videos that were posted from the All-America practices, and he's dominating Everybody. Everybody. Uh, winds up in Tuscaloosa, goes through spring ball, plays in the spring game, and puts up two sacks in the Alabama spring game. Like it's it's not he's not playing against scrubs. He's playing against one of the three best. I mean, where are they rank now? They're ranked second in the country. One of the two best college football teams in the country, and he's putting up those types of numbers when he was supposed to still be in high school. He. He's a monster. Uh, just to continue the story so we can kind of wrap up, make sure everybody's on the same page before we really dig in. Uh, so so that was this spring. Uh, in fall camp in August, he missed a couple practices for personal reasons, uh, came back to the team right before the season started, or maybe even a week in. Uh, he, he left the team, just kind of disappeared. Um, and Nick Saban... Uh, this is something I remember following along with because uh, hearing how Nick Saban talked about him is this whole weird situation. He just said like he disappeared. We've offered him help. We've offered him whatever. And he just isn't interested. Um, Antonio's family said, you know, his, his grandmother was sick and that kind of weighed on him and a whole bunch of things were happening there and he wanted to be closer to her. And for whatever reason, it didn't work out. Um, you know, from what I've heard, the concerns that factored in there aren't huge concerns for uh, CU at this point. I think that there were some uh, th- there were some circumstances at Alabama that were very specific to that situation, and it it would lead you to believe that there, obviously there is risk here with somebody who has had that little bit of a questionable background the confusing background more than anything but but it would lead you to believe that those concerns probably a little bit less than you would expect them to be uh, a whole bunch of other pieces there you know he he went to i think three high schools in his last two years of high school um bounced around a lot transferring now there is that question mark and we do have to remember that there is that question mark you know what actually is he is he capable of being the guy for four years 
uh, show up to every practice, doing everything. Um, and, and that's something that you have to see play out. But it does seem like those concerns may be blown a little bit out of proportion, at least based on what I've heard so far. Um, I've heard a whole bunch of really good things is what I'm going to say. Uh so yeah, I mean, you go back, you watch the interviews, seems like a good kid, seems like a smart kid, um, especially back in high school, it's just insane watching him talk because you look at him and you just think like, like it, it, people might think he's my father if they saw us together, like he looks like a man, he had a full beard in high school, um, shaved head, like he looked like he was middle aged, it's, it's pretty insane, um, but yeah, He's going to Boulder. He uh, signed the financial aid pa- paperwork uh, Monday evening, this evening, and that makes it official. That's basically a contract. Um, something that was kind of anticipated. We we're kind of ready for that to come. We we're waiting all day to hear about it, and I wanted to wait to record the podcast until after just because this is what I want to talk about. Um, and it happened. And it happened. You know, he talked to Mel the last couple days. He was obviously in Colorado. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit through what this recruiting process was like. Because, again, we don't have all of the details, but we, we do have some clues. And one thing that's been very clear from the very beginning of this is that there were some strong ties to Colorado, to Mel Tucker, from Alfano, uh, early on in this process. So he, he officially entered the transfer portal in mid-October. So this has only been about three weeks now that he's been recruited. Uh, and, and ever since it happened, you know, Mel Tucker, obviously defensive coordinator at Alabama in 2015, before Alfano was there, before Alfano was recruited, but there still are those connections. Uh, he still knows people. And when it comes time for Alfano to, you know, start looking around, he might go back to some of those coaches that he trusts, uh, some of the people at Alabama that he trusts, and you know they probably put in a good word for Mel, and maybe that's where things kind of started to take off. Again, that's speculation, but that Alabama tie for Mel would make you think that this could be related. Uh, throughout the process, things kind of kept pointing more and more that way. I think Buffs fans were scared to get too bought in just because... I mean, this isn't something that happens to Colorado very often. Um, it, it has really never happened before, getting a transfer of this caliber, off at least off the top of my head and based on the research I've been doing. Um, so, yeah, throughout the process, you know, he starts following a bunch of Buffs accounts. He starts following, you know, Buffs football, Mel Tucker, uh, a, a bunch of others, and that wasn't the case at any of the other schools. And so that kind of get you hyped up that gets you seeing what he could be thinking where his eyes could be and again it's tough to trust it because a player of that caliber he could have played anywhere he wanted to in the country last year you know maybe the circumstances of what happened this fall shift that a little bit um, might cut some options out but to be honest Colorado has typically been what a, a bottom 10 school in the power five conferences or at least over the last what 10 15 years and there there are a couple of rises but they they aren't georgia they aren't lsu um they aren't usc or oklahoma you know there there are a bunch of these big name schools where alfano probably could have found a home but he decided to go to colorado and that is 
so exciting. So yeah, you see you see him uh, following the Twitter accounts, and then Friday afternoon he posted on his Instagram that he was in Gunny Up. I want to say it's not a real word, so I have trouble remembering it. Uh, like Gunny Up, Colorado, which based on me using my maps is somewhere out in the mountains an hour or two away from you know the Denver Boulder uh, area so we knew that he was around that's exciting because we didn't really have anything tangible it was like he was just following those accounts but also um, I can't remember if the post maybe the post was Thursday because uh, or no the post was Friday which made me think you know maybe he was here Thursday talking to coaches before the team left for UCLA uh, and then he decided to go up in the mountains. Uh, he, he did stick around through the weekend, I guess, and f- figured out that this is the spot. So maybe maybe he just got in on Friday and was going up before everybody got back. Sounds more likely, but he, he signed his financial aid paperwork. He is stuck in Boulder, um, and that is really exciting. Um, I think that that's pretty much what happened and that's probably good for the first segment. We'll jump into who he is as a player, um, what he means for Colorado. Uh, after we talk about Breckenridge Brewery, uh, I went out to the Broncos tailgate on Sunday, uh, ended up going to the Broncos game too. I've, I've gone to all of those home games already, and I, and I haven't meant to go to pretty much any of them. I just wind up out there and somebody has a ticket or they're, they're cheap tickets and whatever. Um, had a blast. Obviously, the Broncos won, which is nice, but would have had nearly as much fun without Breckenridge Brewery. They bring all of the... We had a bunch of United and Orange, the Avalanche, uh, the the Strawberry Sky, of course, is a favorite at DNVR. Um, so many good beers. You really do need to check them out. Uh, you should go to uh, their, their beer locator on their website, and it will get you set up with all of the different beers that you can buy near you and you can check a whole bunch of them out. Uh, it's a bunch of cool people. Definitely support them because they're they're local. They, they made it big. They got money from the big companies. But that just means that they can keep doing what they do, but they can share it with people from who aren't from here, which is pretty cool. Uh, beers are in 36 states, so you should definitely check them out. That reminds me, we're in, I think, 32 countries now. I can't remember if it's 32 or 34 countries, so... That's pretty cool that they've all downloaded this DNVR Buffs podcast. Um, but yeah, Breckenridge Brewery, cool people doing cool stuff. Uh, also want to tell you about uh, Total Beverage. Uh, Total Beverage is incredible. It has any sort of alcohol that you could want, all the mixers that you could want, uh, a couple of locations, but the best part is that they'll deliver it to you and they deliver pretty much everywhere in the Denver metro area. So even all the way out in Boulder, if you guys want it delivered to you instead of going to the store, they'll do that. And if you order through the app and your order is at least $75, you get 30% off with the code DNVR2019. It's a, it's a steal. Uh, definitely be using that, uh, especially to buy your Breckenridge beers. Okay. Um back in what is Antonio Alfano as a football player the 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 quick answer is that he just is the perfect defensive end and you know all of this is going to sound really flowery out outside of the the you know questions about the end of his time at Alabama which I've heard 
isn't that much of a concern going forward? Uh, who knows? Something else could come up, but that seems like it's all settled down. Um, outside of that, you really couldn't ask for any more from this guy. He's like I said, he has the vertical. He has the four eight two forty time in high school. Um, he, he can bench four hundred. He can squat six something. He, he has all the measurables. He has the on-field production. I mean, everything that it takes to go into being the number one recruit in the country, he obviously has. Um, going through the 24-7 rankings, their, their, their stats, all their numbers, uh, it's impressive stuff. You know, Adam Munster-Tiger wrote the story this weekend and said, talking to a bunch of different coaches uh, who tried to recruit um, Alfano out of high school, you know, asked what... What is his flaw? Like, what is the thing that he needs to clean up? And they all said, he's flawless. There's there's nothing. You could have asked nothing more. Like, obviously, there's room for the technique to grow, but for an 18-year-old kid, it's already pretty incredible. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have been watching the highlight videos yet. Uh, you definitely should be. Uh, just search his name on YouTube. There will be a bunch of options. Um it's it's incredible stuff. Like I said, he had ten sacks uh, as his senior year, seventy something tackles. And remember, this isn't in the college football season. This is in eight and a half games that he played. He had ten sacks. He had twenty eight tackles for loss. He forced six fumbles. He blocked a kick. He he was all over. He was batting balls down. He has that in his game too. And and it's just weird watching him on that field because. He's just head and shoulders better than any other player out there. and He's bigger than everybody on that field. He's faster than everybody on that field. Obviously stronger. Bet more, better technique. Like Everything is just so much better. It's, it's, it it kind of reminds me of the Peyton Manning commercial, the, the fake one with SNL, the United Way thing, where uh, he's out there playing football with the kids and he's just like yelling at the kids and like throwing the ball at him and knocking him over. It it he is like the Peyton Manning playing with children out on that field. You you hear six four two eighty five, but before you see him do what he does and move like he moves, it's. It's tough to really imagine. They'll they'll double team him and he'll just throw both guys on the ground. He he played offense too. He was an offensive lineman, and I want to say he had like 40, 50 pancake blocks in those eight and a half games because he just was so much better. It it didn't look fair. It didn't look fun, honestly. Like at at one point when I was just watching, it was like my third time through one of the videos. I was just like, you know what? That might not be great. Because I was thinking, you know, it, wouldn't it be cool to be able to do that, to just go out there and just do whatever you want on the football field? Like, you want to go in the backfield, you go in the backfield. You want to just pick up the offensive lineman in front of you and tackle him into the running back? Go ahead. Like, that's just something that you can do. And I was thinking, like, that would actually be a cool thing to be able to do. I would love to experience that. And then I thought about it. I was like, you know, it wouldn't feel like you're playing football, though. Like, it wouldn't feel fair. I mean, it... It'd be like playing me when I used to play basketball with my little sisters. And I was like, yeah, I could beat you by a lot. Like, I am so much better than you. But it it, it kind of loses that feel when you can just beat everybody. Um, and then I jumped ahead to, you know, is there like a love of the game issue that's been speculated about? 
and maybe he never really had that because it just was so easy for him or maybe it was a shock actually being like having competition after never playing competition like the game of football changes for you when you switch from high school to Alabama the you don't just walk through the line it isn't just something that you show up and do and be great at and be praised for something you have to work on and I don't know that those are kind of knocks on him um but it would make a lot of sense it would make a whole lot of sense uh so I don't know we'll we'll follow along obviously see how all that goes uh so much more to talk about this this whole show might honestly just be about Antonio Alfano um what else do we know? We know that so so Alabama offered him the help when he wanted to leave. He kind of just disappeared. Uh, questions about his mental state, and actually one of the tutors, one of the academic advisors, what whatever they call him, something like that. It's usually a better name than tutor. They're more qualified than a tutor. Um, they the one that he was working with there, the one who was kind of in charge of his whatever was actually hired by Mel Tucker. And so she's at Colorado now doing a, a similar job. And, uh, she was, she was tweeting tonight after it was announced that he was coming to Boulder. She said like, Oh, excited to see you again. And, and who knows, maybe that's that little piece of stability that helped in the recruiting process. And there, there, there are some of those little details in here that I think are interesting, are worth noting. Um, Will he be able to play next year? Uh, we don't know. It depends on whether the NCAA grants him a waiver. I like his chances. I will say that. And he 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 has four more years of eligibility. And it doesn't matter whether uh, he plays next year or not. That that clock still starts right now. It ends at the same spot. So if he can't play next year, he'll get to play the next three years. Uh, that extra year of eligibility doesn't move back because this year, 2019, was actually his redshirt season. So the Buffs are pushing for that. The Buffs are pushing that waiver, trying to get him on the field for the the 2020 season so we could play 2020, 2021, 2022, and 2023, um, which, which is just incredible to think about. Um he he could be huge. I mean, you think about what LaVisca Chenault can be for this offense. He's, you know, a top 10 talent. The injuries have kind of like tweaked all of that, and so we haven't really gotten to see him. But you think, what was LaVisca Chenault for this team through the first five weeks of the 2018 season? And, you know, that's top 10 pick caliber play. Antonio Alfano should be doing that exact same thing um the exact same thing he should be that impactful on the defensive side of the ball and that's exciting you, you look forward to next year the fit with Jalen Sammy at nose tackle Mustafa Johnson likely coming back to play defensive end and then uh Antonio Alfano on the other end all of a sudden that looks like one of the best defensive lines, at least the core of one of the best defensive lines in the Pac-12. Um, Mustafa, obviously. Jalen Sammy's been good, and he's good as a redshirt freshman, so who knows what he can be as 
a redshirt sophomore, another year of experience. And then you have the upside, the massive upside of Antonio Alfano, who, again, top recruit in his class, according to 24-7 Sports. I think most composites had him a little lower, like fifth-ish, but still best at his position, obviously best coming out of his state. Um, it's massive. It's it's so big, and I you just can't reiterate it enough. As excited as you are, you should probably be even more excited. I think that that's everything that I've learned about him, kind of where things stand as of right now with Alfano. But uh, that's just kind of the start of a big week, to be honest. You know, Alfano, the, the best recruit to come through Boulder in who knows how long. Uh, you, can, you can go back to, you know, Ryan Miller, was a big-time recruit, I think maybe more highly rated. And actually, I just pulled it up. Ryan Miller, not more highly rated. So Ryan Miller had the composite 9859 rating, and uh, Alfano has a 9865, or had the 9865 coming out of high school last year. And that's the number that I've been comparing it to. Um, Marcus Houston the running back in the class of 2000 who I think he transferred out um he had the 9980 and then the best recruit actually tied is Daryl Scott running back out of California in 2008 um 9980 as well so that 9965 makes uh makes Alfano the third best recruit since the rankings kind of started, I think in 2000, they started doing all this. Um, yeah, that's that's massive, obviously. But like I said, that's not it this week. Um, actually, in this morning in the press conference, Mel mentioned uh, that recruiting is such a big part of changing the culture. He was asked, you know, how do you change the culture? And he said a couple of things and then he kind of got serious and looked up and said recruiting and looking back, it was like, Oh yeah, you were, you were pointing at this all along and we started getting the hints throughout the day. But yeah, it's a, he knew, he knew what he was saying and he backed it up with this, but Saturday, Stanford, all sorts of recruits coming to Boulder. This this might be the biggest recruiting weekend of the year. Obviously, Nebraska beating Nebraska the way it all played out was huge. Um, this will be right up there. Ashad Clayton, the running back who we followed along with from uh, Louisiana, he uh, he will be in attendance. Uh, Brendan Rice coming back up here. Um, a, a bunch of big names, a bunch of targets, and it's it's kind of sad that that's that's the point of the season that we're at now when things kind of are getting ugly that we're talking so much about this but hey i mean it's it's important and and there are good things happening you know all of a sudden now that you now that you've pulled the transfer from antonio if you did bring in a guy like ashad clayton that makes this one of the best recruiting classes and who knows how long um, and they're, they still won't be done. They're still looking at the grad transfers, um, looking at quarterbacks for sure, definitely looking for a grad transfer quarterback, um, and then who knows what else they'll want to patch. Uh, cornerbacks has have been a rough spot, but you think with Chris Miller back from injury, you know, K.J. Trujillo's looked like a, a, like a player, Kai Blackman. 
you know, they've they've maybe figured out a core, but again, that's pretty thin. They might bring in somebody to compete or for depth at the very least. Uh, safety without Onu. I mean, there's the, there are holes pretty much all over this roster. And, you know, there, there were defensive line this spring or this fall. You'll remember that was one of the groups that we were worried about. It's Mustafa Johnson and who else? Can Terrence Lang step up? Can, you know, Alex Changham, can he provide some pass rush as well? I mean, uh, Jalen Sammy we're excited about, but again, he's a freshman. Uh, all, all of these guys, we didn't really know. Looking to next year, assuming the waiver for Alfano does get um, approved by the NCAA, which is... If if I were to handicap things right now, I'd say odds are odds are good that that does get approved and that he does get to play next year. You know, I that Sammy Mustafa Johnson, Antonio Alfano defensive front, that's solidified one year later. And sure, you're gonna have to fill in the Mustafa Johnson role after next year. And this is assuming he comes back, which I think is a pretty safe assumption. That's that's all right. You can do that. You can find a guy. Um, offensively, you know, maybe maybe the Buffs take a shot at another tight end. Um, offensive lineman, you know, Tim Lenott's going to be headed out. Arlington Hambright's going to be headed out. Uh, either one of those guys could be replaced in-house, could be a transfer situation, probably good at receiver, uh, probably good at running back, but quarterback, definitely. Uh, so so they they aren't done by any means grading this class based on what it is right now honestly not a bad class especially now that you have Antonio Alfano but there's more to come there's definitely more to come a bunch of big names will be in Boulder this weekend like I said Ashad Clayton probably the biggest um and and we know that he's going to be making a decision here pretty soon uh there's there's a good chance that within the next two three weeks he decides where he's going to go or announces where he's going to go went over stanford a strong environment that would make it a lot easier to sell him on colorado um and then imagine that three-headed monster if you want to call it that alex Fontenot, along with jaron mangum and ashad clayton all battling for carries it's that's 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 a strength all of a sudden you know i think the way it plays out right now alex Fontenot is a good running back he's a really good running back but when you look at the talent across the pack 12 um i mean it seems like half the teams have a guy who's an nfl caliber running back that that means that alex Fontenot is a pretty average back in the pack 12 jaron mangum has the upside to be a, one of one of the guys in the Pac-12 to compete for a maybe all Pac-12 spot. Ashad Clayton definitely has that potential to be that type of guy. Um, all of them c- combined together, letting the hot hand run, that puts you in a good spot. So, you know, while the season is kind of frustrating at this point, there still is a bunch of other stuff going on that is very important. And... Uh, the recruiting is obviously at the top of that list. And this weekend, the Stanford weekend, a massive, massive weekend to uh, solidify the guys you have, to bring in a couple more, um, and, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. Um, we should probably dig into this 
USC game just a little bit because uh, or did I say USC? I meant UCLA. This UCLA game just a little bit, but first I'm going to uh, take just a quick break and uh, I'll see you on the other side. What's up guys? Ryan Konigsberg here and I got to tell you about the Blake Street Tavern. It's my favorite sports bar in town, as evidenced by the fact that we had our fantasy draft there. It's where I watched Super Bowl 48. It's where I watched CU win a Pac-12 basketball championship back in the day. Uh, it's the place to be for any sporting event. It's the biggest bar in town. I always joke you could land a 747 in there. It was named the National Sports Bar of the Year in 2017 by Nightclub and Bar Magazine. It wins Best Sports Bar in Denver seemingly every year from Westward, anyone else that's voting. It's the place to be. Uh, they've got great specials and the food is out of this world. I recommend the nachos, the green chili fries, uh, the buffalo chicken wrap, you name it, they've got it. And the location is perfect. Just two blocks north of Coors Field and they have parking. So go check out the Blake Street Tavern. Okay, uh, before we get out of here, like I said, want to talk a little bit about the UCLA loss for Colorado. It, it was a frustrating one. It was a really, really frustrating one. Um, so I, I watched it with uh, the free balling guys and, uh, you know, Zisk and Tyler Murray and RK, of course. Uh, and it was a good time, definitely. But I, I feel like I learned a lot about the buffs based on just their reactions to everything and how they say like yeah this is how things go they're bad breaks this just feels like a buffs road blowout you know um which is all interesting stuff but on, in terms of what happened on the field the buffs just didn't have it they're they're so up and down they're they're just two teams they're the good buffs they're the bad buffs and on saturday it was the bad buffs um, the, the good buffs were nowhere to be found. And there hasn't been much of an in-between this year. And you haven't seen them be able to really flip between the two, which is really disappointing. Um, it, it seems like as soon as you see things go south, they're just south. That's, that's just how this game is. And so five minutes in, when you see how it starts, you know... There you go. That's that's the game. They're not coming back from that, and it's too bad that that's how we feel about it. But I, it's it's what this team really is. Steven Montez was off. The interception, terrible, terrible ball. I think was it Tony Brown coming across the middle, and you know he comes open on the left side of the field, maybe five yards past the markers, and you see him open. And you're like, okay, he's going to get the ball. They're going to pick this up. And you look at him, and you look at him, and you look at him, and then Steven finds him. And Steven pulls the trigger. And by then, he's run into triple coverage on the other side of the field, and it gets picked off. You know, he just missed that window. Wasn't quick enough getting the ball there, seeing the open man, reading what the defense was doing. Same knocks that it's been for, honestly, his entire career. That's a problem. That's a big problem, and it's a problem that the Buffs probably aren't going to shake, um, and at least not at this point of the season. But but even when he, he did his job, you know, that first drive, KD comes open 10 yards past the sticks, and it wasn't a perfect pass by any means, but, you know, where Steven placed it did kind of protect 
KD from the hit that was coming. You know, you lead him too much, he's just going to be running and leaving like his front exposed to a hit as he's like, like it probably wouldn't have been as he caught the ball, but a step or two later, right, as you make him turn around just a little bit, he's able to shield himself some. Um, still a little bit tougher to make that grab, but it's one he has to make. Uh, it's one that any receiver should expect to make. That's that's a straight up drop. You you don't fault Steven for that at all. Um, similar that deep crossing route five yards past the sticks probably, and they don't pick up the first down. They go three and out. Go three and out on the next drive too. It's 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 ugly offense. Uh, it's it's tough to knock anybody in particular for it. I mean Steven needs to play better. That's obvious. That part is very obvious. And Mel said today that Steven's the guy. That's still not a question. They're doing what they can to teach him, to develop him, all that kind of stuff. But there's no question whether he's the starter at this point. Uh, worth noting. I'm not not too disappointed in Jay Johnson, the offensive coordinator, play caller, because I don't think he had much to work with. Uh, it's 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 tough to get a defense on its heels when you're just going three and out, when you don't have time within a series to set him up and then take advantage of the way you set him up, you know, run a play left, give him the same look left, give him the same look. But then this time it's a play action. You run out of, you know, all this kind of stuff that you can definitely build on throughout the game, but building on it immediately just makes it so much easier. You know, if, if you're able to beat him for 10, 12 yards on a pass, then beat him for six, seven yards with a run on the next play, they don't know what to expect. They don't know what you're trying to do. And, and it's just keeping them off balance, you know, do, do you repeat all this kind of stuff? It's that little chess match that you don't even get into when you drop a pass that stops you from picking up a first down on the drive. Um, can't happen. Can't happen. And those are the same mistakes that you saw everywhere. Uh, they're down 17-7 at halftime. It could have been 17-13 if they just make the two field goals. James Stefano was not himself. Uh, for you know he wasn't himself uh, he, he's made mistakes in the past I don't think this is who he is whatever was going on hopefully it gets figured out but yeah that it was a down game for whatever reason uh, can't have it can't have it especially from a bunch of different players and a bunch of different players had that type of game and that's disappointing obviously a couple of false starts still in there they know why they're false starting but can't seem to fix it um, Visca, we'll dig into Visca. Let's just do that now. Let's do the whole Visca thing right now. Um, this whole year's been weird. This game in particular has been the weirdest. Uh, we we saw him on the field. We saw him productive early on that first catch. It looked good. I think he got a couple early catch touches, two early touches maybe, and then he uh kind of disappeared in the way that he has disappeared often this season. Uh. Who knows why it was a weird thing that was happening. You know, he'd, he'd miss multiple series in a row. He'd play once every seven plays, rotate in. Um, it was strange because there was no visible injury. You know, that first touch of the game, it did take three guys to bring him down like always. Maybe tweak something there. Maybe somebody popped him there. I don't know. It's all speculation. But, uh... If he was hurt, 
I don't know why you're still rotating him in with three minutes to go when you're down however many scores. You know, the game's decided. Why not let him rest up? Why keep him on that rotation, especially a rotation that's once every seven plays? Like, it's not like it's in, out, in, out, in, out. It's just sitting on the sideline, on the sideline, on the sideline, and then go in for one snap and maybe block and then come back off. You know, it's it's just strange. I, I, I think he took two series off before he even jumped in the wildcat before he did that wildcat which is you know where he takes the most hits um it was strange um i i don't know why i haven't heard why but it was just kind of the next thing Uh, then tony brown of course uh catches the touchdown he was on the pro football focus all pack 12 team of the week as a receiver um it was impressive stuff, you know. You you just can rely on him. There are no ups and downs. He's an NFL guy. He's an NFL guy. And is he going to be an NFL star? Probably not. But he isn't going to make the mistakes that keep a lot of football players off the field. You know if you hit him with the ball, he's going to catch it. And you also know he has the upside to make some big plays too. Um, when they f- gave him the chance, they, Montez threw the ball up to him in the end zone let him run under it, you knew he was going to get it because it's Tony Brown, and he always goes and gets that ball in that situation. It's good stuff from Tony, as always. Uh, with with all of the kind of highs and lows everywhere else, you know, LaVisca Chenault, Katie Nixon, he's been the stability at receiver um, that's allowed this offense to at least have a chance at being solid no matter what's going on with those two. Um, saw Daniel Arias get out there. He, I don't think he caught a ball, but he played a lot of the game. He filled in that LaVisca Chenault role. Uh, he's probably the favorite to take that job over full-time next year. Uh, wasn't necessarily a bad game. Obviously, you got to show up on the stat sheet probably, but he looked good blocking. It looked like he knew what he was doing out there, which is a good first step. Um, I actually talked to him this morning. He was excited to get out there. Didn't really know that it was going to be that much playing time. Uh, just called his number. He got out there. He said there's still a lot for him to learn. Uh, he still feels like he's growing as a as a football player, and a- as he should. He is a young guy. Um, but getting out there, he said it was nice getting out there. Weren't too many jitters. Uh, ha- hadn't seen much playing time recently. That was probably the most playing time he's seen in a game in his career. Um I had never met him before, so it was good to meet him, I guess. Uh, so, yeah, there you go. That's uh, Daniel Arias. One more note from the offense. Uh, actually, first got to say Brady Russell played a hell of a game. Uh, I think he had one drop late, but outside of that, very, very good football game from Brady Russell. Um, bouncing off defenders, showing a little bit of dynamic ability, uh, which isn't something that I thought he had in him going into the season or even through most of this season. Um, let's go to Jaron Mangum though. He, uh, he looked like a stud. He was finishing runs. He was taking everything that was giving to him and, uh, and more. And, and that's all you can really ask for. He didn't really break any big ones, but he was consistent. I want to say 77 yards, four and a half yards of carry solid numbers, very solid numbers. And you know, if, if he keeps improving as a running back, he could do some big things defensively not a bad game and that's going to get lost in the score and all that kind of stuff but 
it wasn't all that bad. They looked decent. Offense put them in some bad situations. Offense couldn't keep up. But all in all, not overly disappointed. Uh, had trouble bringing down Joshua Kelly and the other running backs, some big running backs. That's not a surprise. That's most teams. Uh, Nate Landman had two sacks. Uh, his first two sacks of the season, actually. He looked good, and it's a game where you expected him to look good. A, a lot of running the football. UCLA actually passed a little bit more than we expected, but that's fine. Uh, Got to stop it. <laughs> Got to stop it. And it's tough when uh, you're down all the cornerbacks. Uh, Alex Fontenot went down before the game, uh, or at least he was announced not playing before the game. We didn't know anything was going on, which is kind of strange, but uh, he didn't play. KJ Trujillo didn't play. Um, and KJ was the number four cornerback before injuries to number two and number three put him into a starting job. And so that means five and six. That means uh, Tariq Luckett and Dylan Thomas, who I've been having trouble remembering that name. Pretty proud that I got it. Uh, both guys who were receivers in fall camp were out there starting, or I guess not starting at quarterback, but serving as your one and two cornerback after Delrick Abrams missed however many snaps with his injury. Considering everything that was going on, it was a good game by the defense. Uh, yeah, Stefano needs to make some field goals, need to avoid the penalties. Uh, Steven Montez has to be better. That's probably the real key, and hopefully... Hopefully Visca's all right and we'll be back to being himself again here soon. He was so excited before the game saying, you know, I feel like I'm finally back to myself. I feel like I'm at 99% where I've been stuck much lower than that for quite a while. But hopefully this is a minor setback. Who knows if it's even injury related. We don't know anything for sure. But yeah, uh, those are some basic takeaways from that game. They lost that game in the first five minutes. They just didn't have the energy. They didn't look like themselves. Steven Montez didn't look like himself, and that was it. Um, and then some guys, a couple guys looked good. Nate Lamon looked good. Um, young cornerbacks did about as well as you could have hoped. And uh, final takeaway, obviously Tony Brown is just always there. You can just assume he's always playing well. And then uh, Jaron Mangum impressed me as well. Uh, so that's it. That's uh that's the game. Uh, I think that's the show. Antonio Alfano is a buff, and that's really exciting. A big number fifty six out there. He's gonna be making plays for four years, and we are so lucky we get to see him. Um, Lavisca Chenault, best talent to come through Boulder in quite a while. Uh, is probably heading out of town. Uh, I would be amazed if he isn't, and he's going to be replaced by another elite, elite talent. Um, could be the next best player in the Pac-12 here in the next few years, which is exciting. Um, we'll be following along, hopefully getting some details out, hopefully talking to him sometime soon. But uh, yeah, there we go. That's the show. I'll be back on Tuesday with another show for you guys after the press conferences, and I will see you then. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado sweat.
and later, baby. baby. Colorado Army, we soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And voters where we stationed, patiently awaiting. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging as the crowd do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hey, hey. And you on your own now, why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. Yeah. And we